Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. We're going to have some fun to start this morning. My chiropractor tells me that if there's an adjustment coming, it's better for me if I loosen up before he tries to adjust, right? And you've been in the one where they, oh, this camera people, this is going to suck for you, but like the pretzel one where you're like this and he's like, and you feel like he's going to snap you in half. No, just me. Yeah, that one is a good one. That's one that's really important that you just relax and let what's about to happen, happen. Uh, we've been in a series called No Offense, and today uh, we're going to have some fun, but I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring maybe a little bit of adjustment, as he did to me this week in my heart and my perspective. But a show of hands, how many of you, and this is no time to be humble, all right? False humility, same as pride. So if you're false humble, you're pride, all right? There you go, trapped you. How many of you believe, or maybe you just think that like, if someone were to ask you, you'd say, you know what? I'm probably, I'm probably smarter than the average person, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. Thank you for an honesty. Thank you, thank you. Come on. How many of you are like, you know what? It, it, I, I'm, I don't mean to brag, but I'm probably a better driver than most, huh? Some of you, just by the metrics of how many people almost hit me and the people in this room, I know some of us are lying or have a false sense. Maybe it's me. But how many people, like, when it comes to, I know some people in this room finally it's been 19 years since you've been right about the sports team you cheer for getting out of the first round of the playoffs. And some of you Leafs fans, you are worshiping extra hard today. But don't worry, sorrow's coming. It's called the second round of the playoffs. But how many people, if you're honest, you're like, you know what? When it comes to the right political idea, I, I, I have, I, I'm right. Like, I don't know many people that think and are okay. Like, oh, I'm wrong. Like, right? Like, I, I, this is something that's kind of funny with difference between our families. When I first married my wife, her family is a very, an amazing family, but they just walk with humility. Uh, and it's just kind of natural for them. I came from the Eliasons. Uh, and I, I don't know, like, maybe it's just the bushcraft that you need to be a little bit more bold. But Katie's like, at one point we talk, she goes, so you normally think you're right. I'm like, well, I rarely think I'm wrong. Like, why would I do that? Like, and if I find out I'm wrong, I change my opinion so that I'm right and then I'm right again, right? Like, it's not like, I don't, I don't often like dig in my feet when I'm wrong. I'll disagree with myself six times before you disagree with me once. But I, if I get to the point, I'm, I'm right, right? Anyone else? Like, like it's just that, yeah, and, and hey, yeah, thanks for the amen. So this, this morning, we're going to come over here. Everyone say it with me, Sarcasm. All right, Pastor Craig said last week it's not a spiritual gift, but it's a great sermon illustrator. So when I'm over here today, what I'm saying I don't actually believe. This is the sarcasm box, all right? So if you want to email me because you were offended, we're in a series called No Offense. Not allowed. You got to wait till the next series. Then you can bring it up, all right? But the reality is we think we're right. And honestly, maybe not you, but, but I think I'm probably more right than most people. 
right? Like, I know who Jesus is, and I actually study the Bible, so it's not just my own opinion about, like, that team's better, or this should be done, or you shouldn't drive like that. I actually have, like, the Word of God, so I can, I'm actually really right, and, and if you want to know what, what to do and, and, and how to be right, I can tell you about your theology and correct you where it's wrong. If you disagree, I can show you the verse that tells you you're wrong and I'm right, and, and, and I can do every, you know, I'm pretty, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're good parents. We have kids, so obviously I'm the best parent out there, and so if any of you, I'll be doing free uh, seminars for you and how to probably mess up your kids, let's be honest. Um, but this idea that I'm just more right. If you want to know how to handle your, fi- I'm just the best of your finances. If you want to know what about sexuality, I can tell you where you're right, where you're wrong, what to do with your family, because I'm, I'm right. Out of the sarcasm box, all right? And when reading that, some of you, even though you knew I was in the sarcasm box, something inside you like, it's not right that he says that up there. And it felt just as wrong to say it, just so you know. But we live in a culture that is just torn apart because we have people on opposing sides, no matter what the view is, absolutely convinced that they're right. And we're going to get into how does thinking that you're right interact with being offended. But I want to ask your permission today. Aaron, I know we're doing a couple different things to the lights, but these people are hiding from me right now. If I get a little bit more light, I want to make sure they're okay uh, during today and they're not stiffening up. I'll make a joke if they need to relax a little bit, but if we can get the lights up in this, if it's not possible, that's totally all good too. But do I have your permission to, to, to push just a little bit this morning? Yeah? If no, you can just say no and then maybe come back next week. It'll be, I won't be preaching next week. It'll be good. Because I believe what what the Lord wants to say through his word this morning directly correlates with the prayer over our nation that we were just praying. Because I think oftentimes we pray and we ask Jesus to heal our land and he desires us to be a part of that healing, but we don't stop long enough to stop being offended by a broken world that we can no longer can love a broken world. Because we're convinced we're right and they're wrong. And in our stance of being right, we don't love. And I believe that Jesus would want to maybe shift some perspectives as he did mine this morning. We're going to read a passage where Jesus actually addresses this type of thinking in one of his parables. If you want to stand as we read the word of God this morning, if you'd be so kind to do that, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 9. It'll be on the screen here in a second. And And Jesus, he's dealing with some people that were absolutely convinced that they were right. Like 100%, actually most of Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, we see these people that were absolutely convinced that they were right. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Again, this isn't something that happened. A parable is Jesus trying to figure out a better way to get people to understand the point of what he's saying. So he makes up a story and exaggerates the story so that it's so clear that you can't miss it if you have eyes to see and a heart to understand. So he continues, says, here's where it is. He's trying to prove to them what they're doing is not the heart of God. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray and one was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. 
you're unfamiliar with what a Pharisee is, they were the outwardly righteous people in the, in the church of the day. They followed the 613 Jewish laws and customs, and they were known, they were respected for being right. People went for their opinion. They were used to being right. They were used to being respected. They pray loud, long, lavish prayers in public. They were the religious people, and they were right. After all, they were God's people. That God made them a nation. And not just them as a, as a nation, but these were the guardians of the truth. These were the people that were meant to hold it all together. They were outwardly righteous. And then you have the tax collector who was outwardly despised. Someone who betrayed his own people and took money from them to give to the government and took more from himself and would oppress them. He was outwardly despised because of his outward sinfulness and his wrongness. So Jesus paints a picture for the audience that would have to be a clear crowd favorite at this point. He would be reading this and everyone listening would think, like, oh, okay, the Pharisee, tax collector, I know who the good guy is and I know who the bad guy is. But he continues. Says the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. But this tax collector, Jesus said he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But rather he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus ends the parable and he drives home the point. He says, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. You can take your seats. See, the Pharisee saw himself as right. He did all of the right things, and the tax collector was wrong. But to Jesus, it wasn't necessarily only about right and wrong. Jesus also cared about pride and humility. Because our bottom line is this, proud people don't love well. If you're taking notes today, you can write this in the title. And again, just relax. You're not as right as you think you are. <laughs> Say that to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor, lovingly look him in the eyes. Wives, this is your opportunity. And say you are not as right as you think you are. Let's pray. Jesus. Come on. Small groups just happening all over the place. You're just getting into discussing it. It's fantastic. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that as your word gives us so many promises, it also comes to realign and correct us. So Father, wherever we are more right than we are loving, would you humble us today? In every area of our life where we desire to be more right than we do humble and loving, Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. See, we've been in this new series, No Offense. And I, even talking to different people, it's been a, a really significant series. And 
I, I just want to honor you as a church. I know many of you, because I've heard the conversations in a good way of, man, that was tough, so that led me to have a tough conversation, and I'm so glad that I had that conversation. People not just being hearers of the word, but saying, okay, I need to meet with that person. I need to let go of that offense. I don't want to leave, live burden. I don't want to live poison. And I just want to say, church, I'm so proud, and our pastoral team is so proud of you saying, God, I don't want to live bound in this way anymore. The pastor Craig started this idea in week one of how easy it is to live offended in the day that we live. And he gave us this word picture that I want to just reiterate one more time because I think it's so beautiful and helpful that the word offense is like the little mouse traps that are in my garage that somehow the mouses are able to eat all the peanut butter but not get caught. Uh, but it's that little yellow part on the mouse trap that when it is pressed, when it is taken, the trap snaps. And a reminder for us what is happening when we feel our flesh wants the right to be offended, remind yourself that you are grabbing the trigger of the enemy's trap. And he talked about how to live unoffended. If you missed it, it's a great message to go back. And last week, he talked about offense is inevitable because there are people around you. And I you know sometimes it says you'd have to go on to the top of the mountain and be by yourself and not be offended. I do that often. I'm offended at the deer that are hiding. I'm offended at the weather. I'm offended at how out of shape I am. There's nowhere you will go <laughs> and not be offended. But living offended is a choice. And the world that we live in, when we talk about this idea of being right, we live in a day and age where you can find a PhD to tell you and write an article that agrees with any opinion that you have. Or you can just type it in AI chat and it'll come up with it for you. Like we live in a time where being right, that we have people on opposing sides, whether it's liberal or conservative, or, or, or whether it's right or left, or whether it's this place or that place, or this team or that, or whatever it is, fully convinced, not only that they're right, but they can find the backing to try and prove that they're right. The last three years showed us, and myself as well, that not only can we take our opinions, but man, we are very good at taking the word of God and using that to prove that we are right against other people that claim to be in the same body of Jesus, the people we're called to love, that we can be so preoccupied with being right that we actually cease being loving. So many different opinions. And not just that of opinions of this team or that team or this political view or this political view. Then I just want to zoom in a little bit to the church. Because it gets a little bit more tricky. It's not just that, oh, I don't think you should have dated that way or I don't think you should have talked to him or I don't know if that's the right decision or how to use your time. When it gets into areas of theology where we have, as Christians, we do believe we have the truth. It's not, and it's not kind of, oh, maybe, why? oh, it's impossible to know. No, a lot of what Jesus tells us is very clear to know. And so we have this, this truth, and after all, we are right. We do believe that. We don't believe that we're wrong. We don't believe that there's many ways to get to heaven. We don't believe, like, we believe certain things according to the word of God about sin and holiness and culture versus kingdom. And I, convince, I can, if I'm not careful, I can convince myself that it's actually my job as a follower of Jesus to be right. And as I studied and went through that, I realized that, man, I fall prey to this often. As a pastor, of course, I, I need to be right. I'm going to lose my job if I'm not, right? Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that what we're supposed to do? How are you supposed to be salt if you're not salty? How are you supposed to be light if you're dark? If you're, like, we're called 
to be right, are we not? We're called to seek truth, to preach truth, to live the truth. We're called to be right, which is, is a half-truth and is partially true that we're going to get into this morning. But this is where things can get a little bit messy. That yes, we're called to live in the truth. And if something that's significant as the word of God when it comes to truth, we can think that we are now the guardians of that truth. Which is, again, also, as Paul describes, we're not going to get in today, there's a place and a gifting and positions in the church that that is their job to watch theology. Paul tells the church to be careful to watch over your theology. But when it comes to the world around us, we think that it's actually the call of God on our lives to be guardians of truth. That if we don't, somehow other people's wrongness is going to affect the rightness and the truth of Jesus. And our desire, at worst, we convince ourselves that our opinions, our perspectives are the most right. And they need to be defended at all costs. And at best, we think our jobs defend the truth, the word of God. And we will do that at all costs. You see, when we think it's our job to be right, we can easily become offended at anyone who's wrong. When we think it's our job, we've convinced ourselves, again, I I do believe in the truth of the word of God. Hear me. But when I think it's my job to be right, anyone who's not right is now a threat to what I believe to be whole as truth. So I'm offended at them rather than understanding maybe there's a different place that they're coming from. We're going to get into that. They posted that or how they voted or their sexuality or, or how they're dating or not dating or that person does this or what school they go to, whatever. And what's dangerous about this is it brings us, if we're not careful, thinking it's your job to be right is a slippery slope to contempt. And I want to put it on the screen. We'll follow it here. You see, when I come to the idea that I have steps towards contempt, that I am right, that's the first step. The the logical conclusion, if I am right and you don't believe what I believe, you are what? Wrong. And if you're wrong and I'm right, but the rightness is not just my opinion, it's the word of God, and you don't believe that, I need to protect that so now I'm offended at you. There's an opportunity for the seed of offense has an opportunity to land in our hearts. How could that person do that? What are you talking about? The family member that comes out to your family or the family member that goes through a divorce and why did they do that? How did they make that mistake? I I can't believe they'd leave the church. I can't believe they'd do this. I'm right. That's not what's right. They didn't do it right. And it's not just now what happened. It's the person that we're looking at. The seed of offense is planted. Again, Pastor Craig talked about last week. Offense is unavoidable, but we have a choice if we are going to allow that seed to rest because the seed of offense, when it grows, it produces contempt. And that contempt will move us to no longer hate what they did. All of a sudden, when we see that person walk in, we're not just thinking, ah, man, they shouldn't have done that. It's like, I can't stand that person. We no longer hate what they did. We hate who they are. And I know some of us, when Pastor Craig says, hey, we're going to pray for our leaders, that's a touchy point for you. Can we get ourselves to a point where maybe we don't agree with what they did and maybe we hate what they did, but far too many, far too often as guardians of the truth, we start to hate who they are because we allowed offense to take place because we are the guardians of truth. And hating who someone is, is a terrible place for a follower of Jesus to find themselves. See, when we convince ourselves that it's our job to be right, we can treat people however we want because they're wrong. And we need to let them know. After all, 
That's our job, isn't it? As Christians, to be right. How will people know we're Christians if we don't tell them how wrong they are? Right? Okay, maybe I should have come over here for that one. Right? Like, how are they supposed to know they're not supposed to sleep together before they're married if we don't let them know every time we're at dinner with them? How are they supposed to know they're robbing God if they don't tithe if I don't bring it up all the time? Like, how are they supposed to know God's plan for sexuality if I don't make sure that they know every time? How will they know we are Christians if we don't always tell them how wrong they are? Sarcasm ended. Actually, I'm going to go back to it right now. It's going to be fantastic. See, sometimes we think that it is our job, and when we get breed contempt, it brings to self-righteousness. We think that that's our job, but can I tell you that self-righteousness is a terrible attractant to lost people? Back in the sarcasm box, all right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about me, and then I'm gonna ask you if you like me and you desire to follow Jesus more based on how great I am. You ready? Katie and I, I don't know if you knew this, but like we serve in the church every week. We do. It's not, I know, even outside my pay time, we do it. Katie's not even paid to the church, so... Just, just want to let you know that, hey, you're welcome. Uh, we do that. And hey, we tithe and we give. We don't just tithe. Oh, man, we love to give. We love planting churches in Thailand and generous with the money. Just, you know, <laughs> dress the shoulders off. And, and, I, and I, I, know, I know you didn't ask, but I know you're dying to hear that we actually waited to have sex until we were married. And so we're really good with there as well. Just so you know. Just so you know. Just, just you know. And we don't ever watch that trash cable TV. We're, we're far too good for that. By the way, we just, we don't waste our time. Our time is a blessing from God. And so we don't, we don't do that. I don't ever do drugs that the doctor didn't give me, right? I don't ever do, <laughs> I don't ever do drugs. Just so you know, you need to know, I think it's important for you to know that your pastor's not doing drugs as he is prepping for his sermon. I don't get drunk, only in the spirit, amen, right? Like it's not that, you know, I don't do it, just so you know. And me and Katie, we're killing it as parents. You've never seen me lose it with my daughter in, in public, right? <laughs> like, I'm killing it. We own our own home, by the way. Not a big deal. Crisis, own our own home. And we only eat organic meat. <laughs> None of that trash hormone stuff. Only meat that I've killed. Okay, we're going to end sarcasm, all right? We're good? Now, how many of you like me more? <laughs> Prayer team, if we can just, uh... <laughs> right? How many of you have a desire and an urge that, man, Pastor Daniel is so righteous, I just need to follow Jesus? Because self righteousness doesn't draw people to Jesus. And, and just, just so we're clear, you know, what? I may serve at church, but I, I don't always have a great attitude when I do it, and, and it's a struggle. And just so we're clear, yeah, me and Katie waited till we were married, but I didn't wait till I was married. And just so we're clear, we don't ever watch cable TV filth because we only watch Netflix TV filth. <laughs> just so we're clear. And I don't do drugs in high school and all of that because I was more afraid of losing a possible scholarship that I was not good enough to get. <laughs> but I thought just maybe... And so I was more afraid of my mom than I was in love with Jesus to not do drugs. 
Just so you're clear, I don't get drunk not because I think I'm so good. It's because I have the scars of making so many stupid mistakes while I was drunk that I'm terrified to ever come close, close to that line again where I, it is my mistakes that remind me that this isn't something I should be dabbling with. And just so you're clear, I wait till a private moment to lose it on my kids, <laughs> not in front of you. And just so we're clear, we own our own home because of the generosity of two people that gave us a down payment that we barely had enough money to save up for the closing costs. And just so we're clear, I only eat organic meat because I'm addicted to hunting. <laughs> you see, people won't be drawn to Jesus by how right we are. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. We're going to get into that. But we need to primarily understand that it is not your effort to be perfect or to be right and for them to know that you're right that will draw anyone to Jesus. If anything, it will repel them. See, this begs the question, if we're called to follow Jesus and be like Jesus, what was it about him that drew people to him? Because Jesus was the most right human who had ever lived. Jesus was the only perfect person to walk this planet, yet people who were very, very wrong loved being around Jesus. And there was nothing in his acceptance of them that watered down his rightness. That if you look at it, that I can think of different examples that it says where Jesus is going in Luke 15 where it talks about the lost sheep, that it's in the context of sinners coming to be with Jesus, of tax collectors, of prostitutes, and the religious righteous were like, I can't believe this guy's eating with them. That whatever it was about Jesus, people who knew the Pharisees told them they were wrong, loved being around Jesus because they were loved. I can think of Matthew, the tax collector, that couldn't show his face in certain circles. Such social shame felt comfortable to welcome Jesus into his house and invite his other tax collecting friends to be with Jesus. Love being around him. I think of a prostitute who was a well-known prostitute that was so radically changed by the presence and the glory and the power and the love of Jesus that she chose to come into a room around all of those who would judge her and take her inheritance and pour it out at the feet of Jesus. I think of a woman that was socially shamed as a Samaritan at a well that had nowhere else to go but found life itself in Jesus. And although he was fully aware, as we see in the story, of what she had done that was wrong, that did not stop him from extending his love, that she left full of life, not full of judgment. Jesus never said that if we want to follow him, we need to make sure that we're right. Wait, you mean that that's not the world, that's not how the world will know that we follow Jesus? By how wrong we tell them they are? Sometimes Facebook seems to be that. Wow, that was a really old quote. Some of you appreciated that. Others were like, dude, get off the stage. All right? You see, the Gospel of John, Jesus actually clarifies what we are meant to be known by. And the context of this is awesome because Jesus is the last supper with his disciples and his friends. He had done everything that the father had asked him to up until this point. He was about to go to the cross and he's having dinner with them and he gets up, the most righteous person ever lived. It says he understood in this moment that the father had given all things under his authority. And with that amount of rightness, with that amount of righteousness, he takes his cloak off, he gets down and he washes the feet of a Judas who is about to betray him of a Peter who's about to leave him, of all the other disciples who are about to scatter. 
knowing the wrongness in their heart, understanding what's about to happen, even though he understood he loved them in this way, and he gets up. Judas goes away, and it starts in John chapter 13, 33 to 35. This is my children. I'll be with you only a little longer. You will look for me just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. And he says these two verses. It goes, a new command that I give you. Let me sum up what I need you to be about. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciples, you need to get this right. It says, love one another. And he knows us because he doesn't stop there. He knows that we're like, okay, well, love, but we have our clarifying, you know, our, oh, well, maybe it's not this, or, well, they wronged me, and, well, they offended me. And so he brings clarification as to what love one another means. As I have loved you. As I'm loving you right now. As I just loved you to clean your feet. As I just loved you in all of these years being with you. As I'm about to love you by taking your sins, putting it on my shoulder and dying on the cross. To that degree, that's your command. Love people like that. So you must love one another. And yes, Jesus is talking about the church, but surely he's talking about how we treat other people outside of the church as well. But primarily in the context of this scripture, he's speaking to the body of Christ. He says, by this, not by your rightness, not by your theology, not by your, your great worship service, not by your great families, not by your, 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 all, all your, your awards, and not by all the rightness you think you are, but by your love for each other, Everyone will know that you belong to me if you love one another. See, Jesus never said it would be righteousness that the world would know we belong to him. Rather, it would be our love for each other. You can't love someone if you're more concerned with being right than you are being loving because proud people don't love well. So why do we often not love others? inside the church and out, the way that Jesus has so graciously loved us. I can't say for you, but I can say for me. Why do I struggle to love people who I think are wrong? Because I'm too preoccupied with being right. I don't have time to be loving. Because if being right is the top priority in my interaction with them, I may incorrectly think that if I love them, they may think that their wrongness is rightness, and I can't have that. If I love the lesbian couple next to me and invite them over and I don't tell them that, hey, by the way, I'm a Christian and maybe I don't agree with what you're doing and all of this stuff, I, I gotta be sure because they find out I'm a Christian but I don't tell them how wrong they are, they may think that I think they're right. And oh, we just can't have that. I'm a guardian of the truth. I gotta be right. I think oftentimes what stops us from loving like Jesus does is we're too preoccupied with primarily being right over being loving. Could it be that we're too preoccupied with it? That the, our need to be right postures our heart for offense of those who are wrong. And you may have a question to this, but Daniel, we're still called to speak truth, which is a fantastic question to ask. And this is the tension that we as followers of Jesus are called to, by the way. 
I understand that we're called to be loving, but Daniel, we're also called to be holy for God is holy. We're also called to die to ourselves and turn from our life of sin. We're also called to speak the truth. We're also called in brotherly love to confront others when we see them in sin. So how does these two things coexist? If all we do is love people, they'll never turn from their sins like Jesus died for them to do. How do we make sure they won't water down the truth while we love people? When I grew up, it was, when I grew up, it was called greasy grace. Well, we can't just tell people they're forgiven without telling them that they were wrong first because then they'll just, they'll just take advantage of it. And honestly, I think this is a fair question, but I'm really grateful that Jesus has a fantastic example that leads us, if we're willing to, in how to walk this balance. Keep in mind, Jesus was the most right person, sinless person, and had zero tolerance for people or sin. He was perfect. The reason he had to die, because if there was any sin, we can't be in the presence of God. Like This is the whole reason. Jesus takes sin very seriously. It cost him his life. But we see in John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking. If you know the story, there's people that come, and there's a bit of a commotion, and they throw this lady down that was caught in the midst of adultery. We see that there's the Pharisees, those who are righteous, self-righteous. They come to Jesus because they didn't like how loving he was and how much he didn't tell people how wrong they were. They throw him in there. We don't know. We're not told why there's not a man in the picture. We can speculate on a lot, but for whatever reason, it's just this focus in this moment. And they say, Jesus, the law says this. And they were 100% right. See, sometimes we read that and we read it in our own culture and they're like, oh, they were this or that's not fair. They didn't know it was 100% accurate. She deserves to be stoned. What do you say? Jesus has this beautiful line. He says, all right, those without sin, you're welcome to cast a stone. One by one, it says from the oldest to the youngest, they began to walk away until it was just Jesus with this woman. Can you imagine what you think is coming? Maybe she heard about how good Jesus was. Maybe she didn't. All she knows is she's in the middle of a, right in front of a rabbi that he just said, if you don't have sin, you can stay and, and kill me. And he's still here. He looks at her and says, hey, woman, where are your accusers? And I think she responds really hopefully, but maybe not 100% confidently. If I could read into maybe what I would be thinking. Is, uh, they've all left, correct? <laughs> right? <laughs> or is there one left? Like, I kind of need to know here. He says this statement, the most right person who's ever lived, standing face to face with someone who was dead wrong. makes this statement and says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus leads with love. And I think we, if I could say this, I've yet to meet someone who, who is curious what me, when I, you know, I have this conversation, lots of people like, your conversation's going great. Oh, what do you do for a living? I'm like, all right, it's about to get silent. 
Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh. I found it to be true that there are more people wondering if Christians are loving than there are people wondering if Christians think something's right or wrong. I think the world's pretty clear for the most part that Christians think they're right in certain areas. But I got a lot of friends that are wondering if they're loving to people who might not agree or might be broken or might be lost. And we see that the posture of our Savior's heart is to go first with love. It says, neither do I condemn you. And if I'm honest, I struggle with this. But Great, we know that's this story, but let's take it in our own context. What about... You know, the person who's just really struggling or they come to you or do like things that you completely disagree with that the Bible doesn't teach and, okay, God loves you, but. I think this was a complete sentence. And in this moment, this woman is not judged. She's loved. But I love that Jesus doesn't stop here. The next statement, he brings Truth. Neither do I condemn you. Fully loved, fully forgiven. This is a statement that the only person who had the right to judge chose not to because he knew what he was about to go do on the cross. The only person who had the right to do that didn't. Then he says, go and sin no more. See, oftentimes we would love to flip that, wouldn't we? Jesus understood a profound truth that we forget. Because often we're like, hey, listen, uh, call her. Uh, I, I don't want to pick a name that I know someone. Uh, uh, lady, boy, there's too many people. Anyways, lady, <laughs> listen, it's not good. Not good what you did. You need to not do it again. And if you don't do it again, I won't stone you. Okay? We good? We good? When people wrong us or offend us, how often do we put stipulations on our forgiveness? We put stipulations on our love for them. See, Jesus understood a profound truth that I forget often. That until we deeply and profoundly hear the words, neither do I condemn you, we do not have the ability to go and sin no more. as if our self-righteousness could ever make us fully right. Friends, rather than being so concerned with being right, we should remind ourselves that we were first forgiven. Because someone who is concerned with being right will be offended at wrong, but someone who is always aware that they were forgiven will have empathy for those who are also forgiven. Rather than looking at how wrong they are, would we stop and realize that maybe they're lost like I was and like I frequently am? And we are not able to go and sin no more until we know we are profoundly and wholly loved. That the Father no longer condemns us. That there is only forgiveness in Christ Jesus. I wonder what our nation would look like if coupled with our prayer for God to heal our land, that we would also be people that would be agents of love to those we violently disagree with. 
Not insecure that the truth of Jesus might not be lost. We don't tell them, can I tell you that even though you may want to tell them, they will not hear you until they know that you love them. There will be an opportunity to do that. But often we want to say, go and sin no more. But Jesus says first, neither do I condemn you. I've yet to meet someone that gave their life to Jesus and passionately follow him because someone just told them how dirty and wrong they were. I know that I follow Jesus because when I screw up and when I mess up, he reminds me of how profoundly loved I am. And that because I'm loved, he's going to walk me out of this hurt, out of this pain, out of this sin. What do you think that woman felt in this moment? I think she felt profoundly loved. See, people won't be drawn to Jesus by how right we are, but by how loving we are. And in this series of no offense, I know that this is multiple layers to it because we are people of truth. But as people of truth, we need to remember that what is most true is that we are absolutely hooped without the love of Jesus. That just because you've been forgiven, you did not do it on your own. Ephesians 2 tells us that no man can boast because it's on our own, that all of us are under the grace and love of Jesus. And rather than seeing someone as wrong, Allow our hearts to break because we see someone who's lost. And they just need to know that there's a father who loves them the way that he loves me. Not a father who loves them if they clean their act up, but a father who loves me when I don't clean my act up. A father who loves me when I'm educated far beyond my obedience when it comes to the word of God. We started this series, if uh, Katie wants to come up on the keys. We started today by looking at a tax collector who was standing at a distance. Standing at a distance because he'd probably been told so many times how wrong he was. And I don't know your story here today, but if when it comes to church, it was a battle for you even to make your way in here today. And during worship, when it comes to God, like you may be worshiping, when it comes to those moments, when it comes to opening up your life to people, the reality is you're standing at a distance. Because you've just been convinced that while there's wrongness in my life, I can't be close to Jesus. Jesus tells us in this moment, all we need to do when you, like me, find ourselves at a distance because of our wrongness. Simple prayer says, Father, would you forgive me? A sinner. In that moment, you need to know that you are holy and profoundly loved by the Father. If you'd bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here today and you know, maybe you're curious about Jesus, but if you're on, you've yet to surrender your life to him because you have this idea, whether someone told you you needed to be perfect or you somehow just guilt and shame of the enemy has told you that, the reality is you're at a distance right now. Could you please hear the words that the Father would echo to you? Neither do I condemn you, son or daughter. I love you. And I, prayed a I paid a great price to be able to say the words, neither do I condemn you. If that's you today and you know you need to give your life to Jesus. 
you just pop your hand up really quick and I just want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for something else, but if you've never closed the distance between you and Jesus, just pop your hand up. Princeton, online, we always just want to give a moment an opportunity. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. See that hand. Can we all just pray after me for the one hand that went up? Say, Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus, I thank you that you forgave me. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you help me go and sin no more? In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give a hand clap of praise? Come on. For, for people like me who if you're honest we allow our need to be right to lead us towards offense far too often that person may be across the room and you can't see them without that negative feeling because they had a different opinion than you or they did things outside the way that you think they should have been done we just take a minute and just ask the Holy Spirit to search us. Life's too short to live offended, friends. God's got too much freedom and joy and life and hope for us to live in, to miss out on that living offended. Just ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. may identify something in this moment. Again, if you're like me, there'll be quite a few prayers over the next little bit where you ask God to forgive you for choosing to need to be right and offended versus loving. The Apostle Paul reminds us of something in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men or angels, but do not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clinging sound. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge. If I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. If I read my Bible every single day and I do my smorp and I went to hearing God and I went to grow and I went to prophetic class and I serve every single Sunday, but I do not have love. I am nothing. If I raise my kids the right way and I engage as a father and try and parent everything I can with, with Zoe and Wyatt and protect them and lead them in the way of the truth, but I have not love, it's worthless. 
So Jesus, I pray that you would reveal first and foremost to us afresh your gracious, lavish love. That we might be people who are known not by our rightness, but by our love. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.